Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Gregory Gorday. Those of you who have not or do not know him, that's your fault, not mine. That means you live in a, under a rock and you've never watched Top Chef. Gregory has been on two seasons, but also has run an incredible restaurant that I've known for years, Departure, in Portland, which now he's moved on and done Kana. So Gregory, welcome. I'm really Thank excited you. to have you. We've Good talked about you, this for a while. We talked about this during the <laughs> pandemic, and then I kind of shelved the whole concept of doing the podcast because everybody was, I think, a little too panicked to have conversations. Yeah, for sure. So what's going on? I mean, you've, you, you turned part of the pandemic for you into like this massive um, finishing your book, which... yes. This one, right? <laughs> yay! You know the only problem I have with this book? It's not but. signed to me inside. Like, there's no. <laughs> it arrived from Amazon when I ordered it. <laughs> hey, Chris. You gotta, you gotta support you. independent bookstores and get the signed copy. You should actually, order it from Powell. It, it, it actually wasn't. I'll, I'll sign it the next time I see you. I'll come visit. I, I got it at. Uh, there's a place in San Francisco called Green Apple. It's our local spot to buy uh, books. And I went down there and got it, but um, there was no Gregory signature because you haven't been in town. So we'll we'll, we'll arrange that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, honestly, like for me, the pandemic was, I don't know, it was something that kind of worked out in my favor. And I actually had a lot of guilt surrounding what I was doing early on because I actually had quit my job of 10 years on New Year's Eve, 2019. So I, you know, I had planned this whole year of travel and research. I was going to finish my book. I was going to go to Haiti. I was going to go to like Thailand. I wanted to, you know, go down south and study barbecue and, you know, travel up the Atlantic North and study American seafood. I was going to do all this research, you know, in preparation of opening my restaurant, Khan. Um, but yeah, I was locked down at home like everyone else. But, you know, I was watching all my friends kind of have to close their restaurants and shut down. And, you know, a few really, really crafty ones, you know, were able to pivot to takeout models and, you know, CSA boxes and all that good stuff. And, um, but it was hard to watch, you know, and then of course, you know, Black Lives Matter erupted that culminated with like, you know, George Floyd's murder. That was like the kind of breaking point of all of that. And living in Portland, Oregon, where we were right in front and center of kind of the national protest um, both for equality and against police brutality. So, you know, I, I sat at home, I, I protested, I finished my book and then, you know, Top Chef called and um, I was able to film that season of Top Chef and Top Chef Amateurs as well. So it ended up being quite a busy year and I, I'm grateful that um, I have was able to afford at that time to reflect on, you know, the industry, you know, the whole reckoning thing happened and that was a pretty big um, movement for us. And, you know, it really kind of helped me like take a look at, you know, my place in the restaurant world and, and what type of leader I want to be and what type of restaurants I would run and how I want Khan to be. Um, and I was able to publish my book. Um, 
and and we're kind of coming out of it, but you know, it's still we still got a long ways to go um, in terms of beating this COVID thing. So here we are. Yeah, I mean, you you've been outspoken. You've been straightforward. Look, I've known you for years, right? You've never you you are who you are. You've never hit it. You've never you know play play a facade. You've always been. Gregory is Gregory. I've known you for years. I've no, never known you any other way. What you see is what you get. And that's what I love. You know, like we've had so many fun, fun evenings at Feast doing dress up events, whether it's, you know, <laughs> everybody dressing punk rocker and roller skate 70s, you know, we've seen yeah. it all. Yeah. And, and I think what I love right now is, is that you've come forward with your restaurant con, the, the, the food that you put out on Top Chef, which was a monumental success, I would say, from a perspective of there was more viewership during the pandemic watching your season yes. than yes. history, right? Put more eyes on the food that you wanted to do in con. And how do you feel that that not only benefited you, but allowed you to have a bigger voice? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it worked out in a really major way because we filmed All Stars pre-pandemic and then it aired right when the pandemic began so it was actually this kind of awkward balance of you know with so much death and tragedy in the world you know should we be promoting you know this entertainment show um you know and it's like yes because you know it's an hour of relief of you know a lot of the stresses of the day-to-day -day of, of living in the early pandemic um it reminds us of what the best parts of working in a restaurant, what restaurant culture can be. Um, I was so happy, you know, with All Stars. And, you know, I think the culmination of that season for me, you know, was really being able to bring my concept con to life in Restaurant Wars. And, you know, going on All Stars, you know, I thought back of all the challenges that I failed at epically my first time around when I did Top Chef Boston <clears throat> um, season 12. So. I was like, yo, Restaurant Wars is definitely a challenge that I want to succeed in. Um, I think like I, I had like one challenge that I like, I, I had a really bad fish day on the first season. I was like, I want my fish cookery to be like on point this season. So there's like all these things. Um, Restaurant Wars, I mean, it's like, it's the biggest challenge on Top Chef. So, you know, I think it was extremely successful because the key to Restaurant Wars is always to have a very cohesive concept. It's to have something that's super put together super thought out and, and a menu that flows with each other um and it's it's fucking hard you know so yeah. for me um i was so excited for that challenge and there's actually a pitch challenge that which led up to that where we had to pitch our restaurant concepts um and the judges picked two concepts that stood out from the rest and for me i had literally already been thinking about my concept con for already two years you know i had a business plan uh, you know, I had menus drafted, you know, because I've, I've been working on comp for like four years already um, behind the scenes. So I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I had done multiple pop-ups doing that food. Um, you know, backstory is, you know, I did not grow up cooking Haitian food. I grew up eating tons of Haitian food. You know, my family was extremely Haitian. Um, my family is first, I'm, I'm first generation. My parents moved here to the States when they were in their kind of like mid twenties to pursue education and raise a family. Um, so our, my entire upbringing was, was Haitian, but my mom cooked all the time. I never cooked. Um, so just like I had to learn how to make French food and, and all this other stuff, 
Um, I too had to learn how to make Haitian food. I spent a lot of years of my career learning other cultures and I really thought it was time for me to dive into my own culture. So I had cooked with my mom for quite some time. We did pop-ups at my restaurant departure. We did pop-ups at the Beard House. So I was like super ready and we crushed it. Um, and, you know, I was very, very honored and proud to represent the Haitian diaspora um, because, you know, for a lot of us, seeing that type of food on a national platform is, is it's extremely rare. Um, and, you know, really outside of maybe like Miami and, and, and Brooklyn and, you know, Montreal and, and like um, maybe some parts of Massachusetts, you know, Haitian food is pretty hard to come by. So um, it was a really important day. Um, and I'm really, really happy um, that I was able to present that to the to America and the world. The world I watch is on show. Well, I think, like you just said, I think there was that juxtapose where it's like, do you promote the show during this time of fear, right? When everybody's not quite sure what's happening next, we're all locked down, but it was a huge respite for people. It was that moment of, of relief where it was like one hour where everybody would be super stoked to see you and, and everybody that's competing and just just feel a sigh of relief for a minute. And it was something for everybody to look forward to because they're in their minds, you know, I was hearing this from a lot of different folks. I mean, I was watching it. I mean, you know that I was sending you messages <laughs> as it was going. But I think the thing that was so exciting was seeing the public respond in a super positive manner across the board because they were looking for that sigh of relief. And you guys gave them that not realizing that's what was going to happen and it ended up becoming you know everybody's like oh it's top chef night everybody would like hunker down cook a meal and watch and and it was a positive light for everybody and i think that that was pretty incredible yeah i mean i think one thing that i really realize is just the power of top chef and how popular the show is and just kind of embracing that and you know i think Top Chef really has a huge opportunity continually to kind of really just raise some important issues and to really represent, you know, what's going on in our culinary industry. Um, you know, I think stars, you know, and giving me the platform to, you know, elevate Haitian cuisine and bring it to the national spotlight was important. I think this past season um, with the level of diversity and, and kind of, you know, being able to represent so many different types of cultures that truly represent what American cooking is. I think that was really important as well. And people really resonated with all of that because it taps into different communities, different communities who don't necessarily see their food on TV, um, you know, different cultures that don't necessarily see themselves represented on such a national platform. Um, so I think it's really important that we kind of are able to represent ourselves well, you know. Agreed. So how did it feel being on the opposite side? I mean, you were judging. Right, you switched over. It was a lot easier. As one was airing, where you were the competitor, it then shifted, and Gregory became. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean. I mean. I mean. Honestly, I love the the edge. I love being judged on like such a harsh platform, and you know, I was quite envious of a lot of it. But, you know, sitting in hair and makeup is, is quite nice as well um, for the first time. And um, no, I mean, I think just being able to be a part of these young chefs journey on Top Chef and to know what it feels like. And, you know, we were actually mentors as well as judges. So 
Um, you know, we always tried to give really positive feedback and like really give them like straight up, you know, tips um, on how they can kind of elevate their game or kind of like, you know, take these challenges head on a little bit better. Um, you know, always telling them to keep it simple, which is like something that's been very challenging on Top Chef. Um, I've, I've been in the same boat. Um, but, you know, just being being able to sit there and, of course, have it being in my home state, um, which we've been working on for a couple, we had worked on for a couple of years. So, um, you know, especially with how some media really portrayed what happened in Portland, you know, and granted, yes, you know, there's a lot of protests and there was a lot of um, unrest in our state. And, you know, forest fires were really the worst in, you know, our state's history. Um, but there is a natural beauty to Oregon and, and there is a strong community. And I, and I was very honored that we were able to elevate and show um, some of the best things that we have to offer um, to America. Well, I think, you know, Portland is a really special and Oregon as a whole, right? It's such a special place. I, I have a deep connection there. I love coming up and visiting. I mean, we had Jack right there. Um, I spent a lot of time with, with, you know, in Oregon, in Portland and the community at large there culinarily is so tight. It's so unique. Right. And I, I want to bring up a little bit about, um, we have a very good mute. We have multiple mutual friends, but one in particular is Ben Jacobson. And I want to talk about Ben's friends and what that organization is doing and how it's not only started in Portland, but it's now branching out and how important that is to the hospitality industry. Sure, so um, Ben's Friends, for, uh, for those who are not aware, is a recovery group for people in the industry. So restaurant industry, so we are chefs, bartenders, managers, sommeliers, winemakers, um, and we are all um, in recovery or trying to you know stop drinking or stop using drugs. And it's really, this amazing support system. And actually, it actually didn't start in Oregon. We, we started a chapter in Portland a few years ago, um, but it started down south. And the story is, the, the facts are um, Mickey and uh, Mickey Bask and Steve Palmer, um, really old friends in the hospitality industry down south were opening up the restaurant with, uh, Ben was their chef and um, he had struggled with a lifelong addiction to alcohol. Um, and while opening this hotel restaurant, this, while opening this hotel, um, he took his life in one of the hotel rooms. And at that point, it really was a breaking point. And Steve and Mickey decided that we needed something specific for the restaurant industry because of all industries, um, we have the highest rate of addiction. So, you know, while a lot of us have gotten sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, oftentimes it's hard for a bartender to walk into an AA meeting and explain that he's a bartender or they are a bartender um, or this so-and-so is a winemaker um, because we love our profession, you know what I mean? And we don't want to give up doing the things that we love in the hospitality industry and oftentimes that involves working with alcohol. Uh, and so Ben's Friends was founded and created and now we have chapters across the country. Um, and we also have virtual meetings once a week. Um, and I'm a leader of Portland with um, our good friend Gabriel Rucker um, and um, Sherry, um, who is a wonderful uh, person who is uh, kind of leading us in Portland as well. Um, so yeah, we have uh, weekly meetings and we can, there's no true format. It's not a true organization or 
um, a way of living like Alcoholics Anonymous is. It's just really uh, a support system um, where we can openly discuss what it's like to be in recovery or trying to recover um, in an industry filled with drugs, alcohol, and stress. And I think that's a really, I mean, more than ever, that mental health and drug and alcohol abuse have come to the forefront, right? And it's now something that's readily spoken about in our industry, where for years it was very taboo, right? And I think having this option is is incredible. I mean, Gregor, you've been sober for how many years, if I can ask? Uh, 12 years. Indeed, I got sober in, in Oregon. And, you know, I mean, honestly, like getting sober completely changed my life, you know, when I was a young cook. You know, granted, I did pay close attention and I really stuck by my mentors, but I was a fucking disaster. Um, and, you know, it really took some time for, for us to repair our relationships. Um, but yeah, you know, I re literally remember the first day I was late from, from, from work, from drinking or doing drugs. And I was working at John George and I was working in Nuketeen, which is the cafe at John George, um, in the flagship at Columbus Circle. And the chef was like, I was doing, I had to do a clothing that to close and then I had to open brunch the next day. Um, I was like, chef, yo, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go straight home and, and be straight back to work. And I ended up, you know, checking my phone on my way out, headed uptown, got wasted, ended up passing out on a friend's couch and waking up late for brunch, called chef and, you know, walking into brunch, you know, a couple hours late and having chef working your station is never a good feeling. <laughs> and <laughs> you can feel the steam coming from him. <laughs> oh my God, Greg. I can I that. I can visualize yeah. that. Yeah, I remember that day very well. And unfortunately, that was just the beginning. Uh, it was another full seven years. Um, and it just progressively got worse. Um, I was addicted to cocaine. I was addicted to Freemason cocaine. Um, so yeah, so I actually was in rehab uh, when I left New York. And I moved across the country. I moved to California and I still fucked around and I ended up actually moving to Portland because of the job at the Nines Hotel to get departure. And I still kind of like did not get myself together. Um, I started working at this small cafe called Saucebox, which closed during the pandemic, but it was there that I walked in and I got the chef position there. And my sous chef, uh, he was like, Hey, my name is Tom and I've been sober for two years. And it was literally the first time I'd ever met someone who, who had actually been sober for two years. And that really was a starting point of me just kind of like taking a look around. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who lived in Portland because um, I went to college in Montana and a lot of people had moved here. And just watching my friends like be, you know, owning houses and having children. And I, you know, I was like literally like the same age and just getting drunk at the bar. Um, and I just really felt that it was time for change. And for me, the final, like the last straw, it really wasn't like this whole huge traumatic thing. I, I ended up, you know, staying up all night one night. Uh, I did a bunch of coke at a bar when, you know, I was trying like to not drink and I just ended up like just failing miserably. And my, my friend was like, you can't stay at my bar and not drink. So I started drinking um, and I got the advice from a really good friend to go to AA and, and I took a good hard look in the mirror and I asked myself if I really thought if I was done drinking and doing drugs for the rest of my life and I could honestly, deep in my heart, I, I felt the answer was yes. Um, and I walked into my ex Tom, take me to my first AA meeting and he did. Um, and that was 12, uh, 12 and a half years later.
um, and my life has completely changed because of it. And I'm so grateful um, for my recovery. That's for sure. That's amazing. And I think, I think that's a really powerful thing for a lot of people in our industry and not in our industry to hear because our industry is, is riddled with stress. And there is that moment when everybody gets off work, right? It's like shift drink, meet the other restaurateurs at the bar or chefs. And there is a way to enjoy yourself without that. You know, I mean, I'm three years dry and um, it's a big decision. And, you know, you can only drink so much sparkling water at the bar before you, your bladder's going to explode, right? But, you know, it, it's, I've actually stopped going to the bar just because I, I don't, yeah. it get, comes to a point where, yeah let's be honest, right? It, it does feel awkward, right? Like how many large events have you and I done, whether it be a feast event or a food and wine event and everybody around you is party hardy. And, yeah. you know, I've got my little bottle of Pellegrino, you know, or, yeah. and, you know, at those events, they don't have mocktails. They don't have non-alcoholic beer. They don't have, they just have yeah. still or sparkling water. <laughs> true, it's true. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I took a break, you know, when I got sober, like, I was like, no, like, I, I did not go out for six months. I actually started running at night to kind of replace my bar time. You know, I, I would just get off work at like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like training for my first half marathon and my first marathon. And I would just literally run the streets of run through all the suburbs and neighborhoods of Portland, um, training for my first marathon. And, you know, like, I, like New York City is a huge part of my life. It took like two years for me to walk back into a club in New York. And, you know, I, back then I was drinking Red Bulls like, like crazy, like, cause I had so much anxiety about just like everything. Like, not that I wanted to drink, but like, I just felt anxiety in general about being in a space like that. Now, you know, I, I, I don't go to bars, you know, just for fun. I go to restaurants, you know, um, if there happens to be like an after party or something, like when, you know, like pre-pandemic, of course, you know, I'll, I'll go to the bar, but like, I, I don't enjoy going to, I, like, it's not something that bothers me, but it's just not something that I gravitate to going to a bar, you know, at night. Um, yeah. Priority thing. Going home and being or. I think priorities change pretty dramatically, you know, and you're running, you know, are you, have you had a chance to run in the DC swelter? Oh, it's so fun, isn't um, it? I'm actually recovering from a knee injury. So I did a nice 45 minutes on the Peloton this morning. Um, <laughs> it's muggy <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's muggy there. <laughs> so let's talk about the book, right? I'm, yeah. I, I love it. For those Thank of you, you. It's, it's great, right? I mean, look at how dapper you look on the front. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, it, it's very, very veg forward, which I think is always been you one and two it, flavor profiles, very unique, very distinct. And I'm really, really, I'm curious as to how you put all the recipes together. What was your thought process in doing it? I mean, was it a lot of it based off con or the goals to utilize con recipes for this? or vice versa? Uh, I think I lost you for a second. Sorry, uh, you, I think you're I think having, yeah. 
I yeah. got bad Wi-Fi. So, <laughs> so in regards to building the book and all the recipes, was it based off con yes, or is it a mix of the two? Like things you did in everyday life? Or okay. So, you know, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, so the backstory of the book is, you know, I really wanted to create a book that was really helpful for people. I think a lot, um, you know, you can, you, people oftentimes base their books on their popularity, but I really wanted something that helped people. So like, even if you had never watched Top Chef, you had no clue who I was, you could pick up the book and it would be very helpful. So it's a health focused book. It's based off the paleo diet, um, which is pretty much what I eat. It's, it's gluten, dairy, um, soy, and refined sugar-free, also free of grains and legumes. Um, but the whole point is that it's, it's inspired by different cultures and different recipes from all around the world, including my own Haitian heritage, um, you know, my time, you know, exploring and learning about, you know, pan-Asian cuisines, um, the Caribbean diaspora, the, uh, the African diaspora. Um, it's all food that you want to eat. It's all super designed for the home cook, very step-by-step. -step. Um, half of the book is, is year, filled with year-round ingredients that you can pick up any day at the store, like carrots and red cabbage and cauliflower and chicken thighs. And then a small percentage of the book is super seasonal, um, berries, peaches, asparagus. Um, and then a good portion of the book is kind of based off, you know, getting people familiar with maybe some ingredients that you don't use all the time, like coconut oil, um, you know, almond flour, tapioca starch to create a gluten-free flour blend, um, the world of chilies, which I'm obsessed with, um, diving into that, you know, fish sauce, coconut aminos, kind of these specialty ingredients that are still fairly accessible, you know, if you have a Whole Foods or an Amazon account, you can easily get these ingredients if you live somewhere a little bit more remote. Um, so that's really the culmination of the book. And, you know, it's my first cookbook. So literally, I literally just wrote down every single favorite recipe that I ever thought of, you know, from like what inspired me at George when I worked there for like quite some time to some of the favorite dishes that departure, like the Brussels sprouts were a really popular dish. There's a version of that for the home cook as well. Um, and then some of these kind of classification dishes like the fried plantains, um, the sweet roasted plantains, it's something my mother cooks quite a bit. Um, so it's, it's really this huge encompassing thing. There's 200 recipes in the book. It's 14 chapters um, and over 120 recipes are vegan. Um, while there's still a robust seafood chapter focusing on all sustainable seafood options, there's a birds chapter, um, and there's also a meat chapter as well. So it really covers everything. And I really want it to be this kind of like health Bible for people who are adventurous, who love bold flavors, um, and just want to eat healthy. Um, a lot of people who know me, um, maybe from Top Chef or something, they actually don't know the book is a health book, um, because they just like, oh, I'm going to buy Gregory's book. And then they open it and they realize that so many of the dishes are super, well, all of the dishes are actually quite healthy. Um, so it's a win-win situation. And I just want to make a point here. I was talking to you while you were working on this book. You <laughs> tested all these recipes in your home. These are true home-tested recipes because there were moments when you and I were having video conference calls with caught. We were doing our coffee talk, right? Yeah. Catching up during the pandemic, making sure we both weren't losing our minds. And you were doing everything in the house. Like you had, sh you, you, I remember you did a pan shot. You're like, look what I'm doing. And you had <laughs> ingredients everywhere, but you were testing everything in your house. And I think that's really important for the public to understand that this truly is a book 
that has been tested at home. So you know it works at home. It's not a situation where it's like, yeah, I took a, a restaurant recipe and I just plopped yeah, it in. I, mean, I actually started recipe, like the first couple of recipes were that we did for the proposal. I, 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 I tested them at the restaurant. And then when we actually had five recipe testers besides me, like, and the first couple of recipes were a disaster. They were like so wrong. I'm like, no. Um, and I was actually working out of my friend's house because they have a huge, beautiful house um, in Northeast Portland neighborhood. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, I was like confined to my little thousand square foot bachelor pad um, and just like cooking my little butt off with like pots of pans everywhere, like begging people to like dr come by, pick up food, like whole cakes, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, I think the other important part pieces, you know, my writer, JJ Good, he's a very good friend of mine. And you know, his voice was really helpful in just making sure that the recipes were super, you know, step by step, um, because he truly has the perspective of, of, a, of a home cook. Um, and it was really important that this book was not super chefy and it was really accessible. And yes, you, you'll have to shop for a couple specialty ingredients. Um, but yes, you should definitely have, you know, chipotles in your pantry. You should definitely have whole cinnamon sticks in your pantry and zest them fresh. You should definitely have a bottle or, or at least a couple of different types of fish sauce in your pantry. Um, if you truly want to make exciting, you know, food that's inspired by global flavors. And I think that's a really, really important point that you're making there. It's like, it's really based off having high quality ingredients, right? Cinnamon sticks, using a microplane and doing them fresh is going to make a much better flavor than buying three ground garbage in a little glass bottle that's baked yeah. in the sun that you have no idea how long it's been there or if it's even really cinnamon, right? It's, it's liquid salt with umami and depth and character. And you're talking about basic cooking items that we, we take for granted because they're a part of our, they're a part of our everyday, right? We live and breathe with these ingredients. A lot yeah. of people don't understand that. They buy pre-ground pepper. Mm -hmm. yes. That's scary. <laughs> That's it's not garlic. real pepper. It's garlic, you know? So, so yes, yeah, so the book is definitely, there's some simpler recipes and there are some other recipes that, you know, make, take a few hours, you know, but make that the Sunday project to get the braise on and, you know, make your spice mix. And a lot of the book is actually heavy on pre-made sauces and ferments and vinaigrettes. So like there's like chili oils and chili paste and dressings that you can, and ferments like sauerkraut and kimchi, you can make all this stuff ahead. And it definitely keeps in your fridge and definitely because um, there's so much acid or vinegar or salt in these items. And anytime you want to bang out a dish, you can, or even just simply roast a piece of fish or roast a piece of chicken or roast a head of cauliflower. Um, you can pull out some of the sauces from the book because there's a huge sauces chapter. Um, and those definitely uh, a great way to up your game as well. So um, yeah, I love there's that. a lot going <laughs> so what's next greg are you gonna do a con book are you working on one um or you i think if I were to, yeah i mean yes i'm definitely working on a con but if i were to do another cookbook which i do think i am thinking about i think i would lean into more kind of just like the, a huge part of the book is diving into cultures and explaining and exploring how certain dishes come to be um oftentimes i think i was i used to uh, quite often as an example you know why is there uh there's a sauce inspired by Jamaican jerk in the book. It's for a whole head of cauliflower and I, I, I pack it with red chili. So it has this beautiful red color. Um, but there's also ginger and I use coconut aminos for soy sauce. Um, but, you know, questioning why is there, you know, ginger and um, soy sauce 
Um, or why is, why is there soy sauce in some Jamaican food? And it's, it's because of the Chinese immigrants. They brought that to Jamaica and being able to explore these stories and, you know, how did curry get to um, Japan, you know, um, and being able to just explain um, the history behind some of this food. And, you know, a lot of it oftentimes has to do with colonialism, um, dentured servitude and, and, and people migrating to different parts of the world, oftentimes not on their own accord. But, um, but part of the book definitely is truly about the culture behind a lot of these dishes. Um, and I think if I were to do a second cookbook, I would lean into that culture element as well, but also create simpler recipes because I know people are really pressed for time. So I'd love to create a book that dove into more global cultures um, that was actually a little, little bit easier to cook. Um, so you could kind of do like fully weekday meals. Um, but outside of that, you know, I'm definitely moving ahead with working on Khan and opening Khan, um, hopefully opening early next year. Um, so I'm really kind of buckling down, buckling down and trying to just get everything on focus. You know, it's my first restaurant. I don't have partners. I'm kind of doing anything on my own. Um, being able to uh, the pop up over the course of last winter at the height of the pandemic, I personally feel like I learned so much um, and it was a really fantastic experience. Thousands of people came to see us. People flew from New York, people flew from Canada, um, people drove up from Wyoming and, and, and Southern California to come to the restaurant. So um, it was really awesome and I'm really grateful for all that support and um, I'm just trying to buckle down and, and focus on getting this restaurant open um, because it's been four years in the making already. So I'm, I'm excited to get it going post-pandemic, well, hopefully. Everybody's excited for it to happen. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? Like, you know, I, I wasn't able to come up when you had your pop-up and I was really bummed. And I, you and I have seen each other a little bit here and there yeah. since. Yeah. Do you yeah. have a location? Um, you don't have to say, you could say not applicable at this time. <laughs> I'm all good with that, dude. If I say anything, someone's going to hear this and I'm going to get blown up. So Okay, we'll leave it alone. We'll wait. Yeah, we'll just leave it alone. We'll just Let's leave, leave it alone. alone. It's being worked on at this time. Undisclosed exactly. location. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I love that. So, Gregory, yeah. you, you have spoken multiple different times. You are very, very vocal about Black Lives Matter. You were part of the protest programs going on in, in, in Oregon. And, you know, you, you've spoken pretty much free reign about not only Black Lives Matter, but about equalities in the kitchen, equalities in the world, right? And, and I wanted you to touch on that here because, I mean, that's a huge, look, touching on it is barely even fair, right? It's a huge, huge uh, conversation yeah. to be had. Absolutely. And I think it, you really um, have, you've traveled, you've worked in kitchens all over, You've seen things, and and I really think your perspective is extremely important right now. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I think I worked the past ten years at a corporate concept, and I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity. I had so much opportunity there. I was able to travel. I was able to work with hundreds of cooks, hundreds of young cooks. Many of them have gone off to you know be chefs and sous chefs, and they're still getting promoted to this day. Um, it's really amazing to see. Um, I'm extremely close with a lot of them. Um, you know, the truth is, you know, last year, you know, 
when, you know, at the eruption of Black Lives Matter, you know, there was the restaurant reckoning where a lot of industry workers, you know, took to social media to anonymously vent um, and express, you know, how they felt that they've been mistreated in this industry. Um, and I was 100% called out quite a bit um, for, you know, the, what happened at departure, how people felt they were treated at departure um, under my leadership. Um, and I took it all very, very personally, you know, and, you know, it, I really did as much as possible to try to reach out to everyone who raised concerns. Um, I feel communication and having open discussion is the best way to handle situations. Um, I think it's more important to talk to people. Um, I, I think that has far greater power than talking about people. Um, so, you know, I personally, you know, I took that very, very hard lesson. Um, and, you know, it really helped me just kind of razor focus on what I wanted Khan to be. Um, and, you know, I don't have a lot of trauma from, you know, working and coming up in the industry. You know, I love my mentors. You know, I, I still talk to them like on a weekly to monthly basis. Whenever I travel to New York, I see my mentors, you know, I ask them for recipes still. Like I have a wonderful relationship. So I, I want to have that relationship continuously with people. And, you know, I think the pandemic really taught me that I personally have everything that I need as a chef. You know, if I can get through anything, um, like last year, I know I can get through anything. And I, I want the younger generation to believe that as well. Um, so yeah, you know, like what I learned of course of the reckoning and um, kind of these anonymous calls out is just, you know, communication, communication. And, and that it really kind of focused, um, helped me focus on what I want to to be. So at, the, at our pop up, you know, we committed to having a extremely diverse team and we uh, I'm committed to having um, my kitchen um, and my entire, you know, restaurant led by Women X, you know? Um, so yeah, so every manager position um, was uh, a woman of color. Um, and, you know, I taught a very diverse pool um, of teammates. Um, we paid everyone the same. Um, everyone got uh, a very uh, fair um, wage across the board from the house back to the house. Tips were divided 50-50 between front of the house and back of the house because we had about an even number of, of um, teammates between front of the house and back of the house. Um, so these are just some of the things that I was experimenting with at Khan um, just to kind of push the needle forward. You know, um, I promoted three women of color, you know, during the five and a half months that we were open. Um, and, you know, not because they were women of color, but because they were the best people for the position. Um, so yeah, you know, um, these are some of the things that I'm committed to. Um, and I think it's extremely important. You know, I'm definitely committed to having Khan um, run by um, women and, and, and femmes. And um, I think it's extremely important. And, you know, it was a very, very different dynamic, I will say, to have um, a woman ex um, kind of led kitchen. Um, and I think we all got along really well. Um, and I think, you know, my, my chef de cuisine, um, Maranya, um, I think she's a powerhouse um, and, you know, a lot of people in the kitchen really looked up to her and seeing, you know, a woman in, in that position, um, you know, working side by side with me and being able to leave them, you know, that is what I want. You know, like, I don't need all the attention. Um, I don't need all the glory. You know, I don't need all the credit for the food. Um, I really want to create spaces where everyone feels safe. Um, people feel like they can grow. Um, they get the credit they deserve and we all work together. Um, and I'm committed to that. That's awesome. And you know, that's, that's not an easy task. And I think people, and you've, you've set a precedent and you're pushing 
you're, you're following through with what you said. And I think that's yeah. very hard for a lot of people to, to comprehend and also to follow through with, like they don't know how to do that. And I think yeah. you're setting an example that I think is incredible. I know. I mean, I also realize that it's, it's really challenging. You know, I was, you know, I had a small team. I was able to, you know, like handpick people. I have tons of people that I've worked with that I love and we have an awesome relationship. So, you know, who's to say, who's to see what happens when we, we try to start hiring early next year. Um, I also know that, you know, people, you know, will oftentimes have a hard time diversifying their applicant pool. Um, and it just, it's just something that takes some work. Um, and, you know, we just, and I also know that people are up against you know, really hard times and, you know, just basically trying to survive right now in the pandemic. Um, it's really hard to implement all these changes while you're literally just trying to make sure that you can keep your doors open. Um, but, you know, I hope that, and I'm very committed to this, helps inspire people to, you know, slowly and continually push for the same kind of diversity and equity um, in their own restaurants. Is, are there some tools that you think would benefit other restaurateurs and, and chefs in being able to diversify their kitchen and, and change their hiring practices? Are there some tools that you use that you can share with them to help them change their systems? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it takes taking under people, taking people under your wing, you know, and, and, and kind of just casting your net wide, you know, and if, if you're only getting applicants for certain pool kind of casting that set that nets wider um you know are you looking for people in other states are you looking for people in other neighborhoods um that might be willing to commute or that might be willing to um you know relocate you know if, if it's that important to you you know are you investing time in maybe younger cooks that you can groom to kind of you know lead up to that position you know the people that um you know i hope become the core team at con you know i've been working with them for years and years and years you know so it, it takes some time you know all of them started as young cooks with me you know at departure and you know i i have so much respect and love for all of them they've a lot of them have worked at both con pop-ups and you know Verania's my my, my chef to cuisine she's like the the best example of this she really wanted to work with me and she stuck by my side um and i made her the sous chef at con and i i, I want to make her the chef to cuisine at 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 con when we open brick and mortar um so you know it that relationship has taken years you know um it's really about you know just investing in people um you know casting that nest casting that you know net nice and wide um and just investing in, in that process you know and you know you, you can't have nothing's going to happen overnight that's for sure so just slowly moving forward and, and, and trying to push ahead i think that's the most important thing so that's a really big really big thing mentoring training time those are those are three things right there that are really really yeah, that's, what, that's what all cooks want you know that's what all cooks want you know that's that's incredible so what's next gregory you've got i mean you're on the world tour right now you're like book tour you're you've been i've seen your instagram you've been in new york you were cooking at padma's house and then you cooked at a few you're like everywhere right I'm now. Vaccine, awesome. I'm vaccine work. I'm <laughs> getting tested every two weeks just to make sure I'm doing the right thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm just absorbing this opportunity. You know, I 
worked my ass off for quite some time. And last year I was stuck at home doing a couple of things. So it feels good to be able to just connect with people. You know, I've been to New York and I'm from there. So it's, it's always good to be back um, and, and dine there and kind of get the vibe. Um, Philly, DC, Virginia. I've been to Rhode Island. I've been to Massachusetts. That's my home state. You went to Rhode Did you? Did you get some coffee milk? Like I sent you that message. Oh, no, I didn't. I did not. <laughs> Rhode Island was awesome. It was so beautiful there. Um, I actually went with the Marine Stewardship Council. Um, okay. I'm I'm an ambassador for them, and we went and studied squid. Um, and one of the first sustainable squid fisheries um, in the world is actually in Rhode Island, and we studied. Um, how important squid is to that community. Uh, we were able to talk with lots of fisher people um, throughout the course of a few days and learn a lot about American seafood. It was really wonderful. Um, so yeah, Rhode Island was really dope. It was really beautiful too. I, so I, yeah, I mean, I buckle down and um, absorb and just, I'm on this like huge eating research trip, making my way down south and um, I'll head back home and try to buckle down and, and, and get hanged around and open up this restaurant, pick out some tables and sign a lease and all that good stuff. Yeah, all the, all the, all the, the little piece, yeah, the, the pieces of the puzzle that not a lot of people understand when you're opening. It's like, okay, picking tables. How many tables fit? Are they going to be square, round, yeah. rectangle? How to move them? Because they make it comfortable, you yeah. know? New, it's a new part of the game. So, <laughs> well, I know you're, you're right now, you're in D.C., so you're on a, I'm still having morning coffee here. You're a couple hours ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I took my son to school, rushed back home so I could get on time for you. A um, couple quick things. I do a game. It's, okay. Uh, no answer is wrong. All right. Okay. So, you ready? I'm ready. Always ready. Hamburger, hot dog. <laughs> Hamburger. Okay. Ketchup or mustard? Oh, definitely ketchup. 100%. Oh, my God. When, when did this happen? Everybody. No way, dude. French fries, eggs, meatloaf, come on. No way, dude, no. No. Okay, chocolate or fruit? Fruit, definitely fruit. I'm from the tropics. I'm a fruit guy for sure. That's how you're actually the first one. Everybody has been saying chocolate. Really? Uh, I live in Oregon. I'm obsessed. Berries, strawberries, like cherries, like mangoes, pineapple, come on. That's okay. so good. While we're on this, yes. the, the bush berries that come out of Oregon are unlike any berries anywhere else. Agreed? Yeah. 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 Like, I, 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 the first time I went to the market there, my head yeah. almost blew off. Like, we got berries on lock. We have <laughs> berries are like yeah. epic. Berries and mushrooms, boom. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we eat our own mushrooms or we have our own berries, Marion berry. That's like one of my favorite berries. That's just seeing them, like, and you, the, the difference is, I don't think people realize, you walk through the market, you can smell them. They're so yes. intense, right? Like, And I'm not going to call them states, but I've been to other states, and the berries are plump and juicy, but never as sweet as what you will find in Oregon. That's for sure. And, and I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the berries, the type. I mean, there's so many different varietals, too, yes. which is very, very cool. Strawberries are huge for us, short season. I mean, California has great produce as well. I, I think, you know, 
I definitely respect the produce game in California. I give a shout but out. It's, <laughs> but the berries are different. I'll say it straight yeah, up. Dude, I live in California. <laughs> berries are different <laughs> in Oregon, dude. Just straight up, okay? All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. I, I, I'm like, I like the more caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> Espresso or cappuccino? Ooh. Honestly, I... I'll probably I'm I'm a cappuccino person honestly because I, I like a little milky frothy fatty deliciousness. So, yours your questions are a little different because you you live in a different diet than the rest of the world. So <laughs> I do. You, you don't eat do. certain things, right? So yeah, it's tough for me to say noodles or pasta because you uh, noodles because gluten free pasta is a little trickier and there are tons of rice and tapioca based noodles from all over the world that are absolutely amazing. Yes, I mean, I love them both personally. I, I can go down either road, but I agree with you. I think the gluten-free pasta hasn't really hit yeah. the yet. So it, it's, yeah. it's a ways to go, definitely a ways <laughs> to go. So, all right, for those folks out there, how do you, I know you like pizza. Let's be honest, you do, but you can't do it. So how do you do it? I have, I have a secret recipe for gluten-free crust that was given to me by a friend. And it's great. It's a little, it's a little on the thicker side, a little thick crust, but you know, throw that in a brick oven. A lot of people have brick ovens in Portland and um, I make a good pizza actually. <laughs> And that's, and I think these are like really relevant things, you know? Yeah. It's usually loaded with like a, a spicy tomato sauce and maybe it has like, like Korean chili flakes in it, or maybe it has habanero and thyme and it's based off like a, like a Haitian Creole sauce, but I just load it up with lots of veggies and throw it in the brick oven and, and it's delicious. Chef kiss. That sounds good. Okay. <laughs> nigiri sashimi. Ooh, I'm a nigiri person. Uh, I just love, I think it's just, just absolutely beautiful to have a chef um, sit at a counter anywhere, New York, LA, Tokyo, and have a chef just really pass you that beautiful piece of nigiri, just grab it with your fingers, dip just the fish in the soy sauce, and that's really, uh, really one of the best, I mean, come on, nigiri is like in my top, I think what maybe five foods in the world for sure isn't it funny that most people don't realize you are supposed to use your fingers to pick up nigiri and yes. how many people dip the rice and then wonder why it all just falls yeah apart? the rice yeah it'll get too salty because the rice will absorb all that soy sauce okay so caviar sea urchin oh ooh, i mean uh, yeah yeah i mean definitely caviar come on like caviar is in that top five of my favorite foods 100 percent um, but sea urchin is pretty good. I just feel like I can eat a lot more caviar than sea urchin, but I love both 100%. Okay. Lobster or crab? Ooh, aye, aye, aye. so that's, I, I'm gonna have to say crab because I grew up eating like these, like, uh, East coast blue crabs. Um, and I went to high school in Delaware, so, you know, Maryland, tons of crabs, Old Bay, all the good stuff, and now I live in Oregon, Dungeness crab is super iconic, so I've had a lot of crab in my life, and, um, it's pretty important seafood for me. Beef or pork? Pork. 
Uh, I'm definitely a pork person. I actually don't eat a lot of red meat, but I actually like pork quite a bit. Um, and I think from jamon to like all the Italian cured meats to uh, grillo, which is a like, super iconic Haitian dish of like braised and roasted fatty pork that gets fried after. Um, so there's a lot of pork in my life as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good thing. Okay. Duck or chicken? Ah, yeah, yeah. This, I mean, I love chicken like 100% for like every day. It's probably the protein I eat the most, the meat I eat the most, but I'm a huge duck fan. I love duck. I'm actually quite famous for my duck. Um, we did a, 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 a kind of roasted duck that inspired by a couple of different Chinese techniques departures, like a huge hit. We would make like, we only sold in December. We would literally sell thousands of ducks, like a thousand ducks, like in a month. Um, and I kind of made a new Haitian inspired duck at our last pop-up, which is like a huge whole duck that we braise in Creole sauce with habanero, black pepper, thyme. Uh, we deboned the whole duck and then rolled the whole thing. Um, and then we reduced the Creole sauce and glazing Creole sauce. So it was like a whole duck, like a whole duck, like in a big, huge. Greg, did I just lose you? Oh no. Where are you, Greg? Greg, your Wi-Fi hates me. There you are. You just came back. Uh, okay, so right. that again. So the last I got was, it was a duck, and it was <laughs> that duck. You were there for so, a good yeah. time. Yeah, you icon. We did a whole duck, so it's like a whole boneless duck, which is rolled in its own skin and then tied up, and uh, we called it duck and Creole sauce. So. We braised it with duck fat um, and aromatics. Oh, dude, this is killing me. Rolled it in its own skin and then roasted it in the oven. And yes, I'll send you pictures. Uh, and then we glazed it in the sauce and we served it in a fine X pan. And we made these tapioca and plantain flour crepes which you would eat it with and you just scoop into it and like it totally just falls apart because it's melting and tender on the inside. Um, it was definitely a labor of love. Um, and definitely, it's a two day process, but it's quite delicious. That sounds, I can't, I already, I <laughs> hurry up and open the fucking restaurant, Greg, because I want to come up and eat. Okay, last one, quail yes. or squab? Squab, squab, squab. Um, when I worked at Jean George, Jean George always makes squab, and one of his like, iconic dishes was a perfect little squab half, um, dusted with a little spice blend, a little corn pancake, and a little little, little little tiny little nugget of foie gras. Um, so I have a very very old relationship with squab. I've had that dish. <laughs> I've actually had that dish, and it's and it's a great. Greg, thank you so much, Gregory, for taking time. I know your schedule is super power packed. I am looking forward to a time where we can hang out. And first off, I want to eat at Con, but also I can't wait to cook with you again. It's been yes, way too long. Um, I definitely can't go running with you because I do not have the, the running legs, but we'll figure <laughs> out a way to go do some fun adventure. Awesome. Greg, thank you so much. And uh, for folks that want to get your book. Yes. Um, Everyone's Table, Global Recipes for Modern Health, uh, available at all independent bookstores, wherever fine books are sold. Um, Powell's Books is the local bookstore in Portland, Oregon. 
Um, and I should have uh, be sending, working on some signed copies actually um, pretty soon. And then of course you can always get it on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it's Barnes and Noble, wherever fine books are sold to labor of love. I, I guarantee it will not disappoint. And uh, for those of you out there, follow Gregory. He's always doing fun things, great food, uh, approachable. That's the difference I think with Gregory and a lot of other people out there right now. Um, he's making food that you can make at home. And this book is definitely a perfect example of that. So we're all looking forward to con opening. Enjoy your travels, be safe. Next time you get a COVID test, tell them which memory you want to race because I think they can aim the, the Q-tip the right direction to get that memory. I had him erase like junior prom, I think. Um, so, all right, Gregory, we shall hang out soon. And uh, thank you. Good to see you, brother. You too.